When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. This is not an episode about Alan Bakula's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. It is, in fact, a real love letter to his previous film, The Parallax View, a 1974 paranoia thriller that literally is the centerpiece of, I guess, a decade of filmmaking that is burdened with the weight of what America is in the wake of events such as the Vietnam War, the countless assassinations of you know, political activists, the civil rights movement, and really American imperialism around the world. Truly an unfathomable masterpiece of a film that when you watch it and you try and break it down, it's scary. And I had the really unenviable task, um, uh, well, enviable and both unenviable task of tackling a film commentary about that by myself. And I hope I did okay. You guys are going to be able to buy the Blu-ray shortly. And But um, in part of my research of everything Parallax, uh, if you haven't already, you cannot see this whole conversation, was an incredible Denver Library-sponsored unpacking of the movie by the great Walter Chaw and two incredible people. One of them uh, graced me with his presence uh, uh, toward the end of One Heat Minute, 
which was so awesome and extremely flattering. And the other is, I mean, how can I describe her other than one of the great filmmakers working today? So Phil Hay, Karen Kusama, welcome to what I'm just kind of gleefully calling the Parallax Views. Yeah. It is an absolute pleasure to be chatting to you about this incredible movie. Thank you. It's so good to be here. It's truly one of our desert island <laughs> family family classic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but yeah, it's a, it's a very important yeah. movie for us for sure. Thank you for having us. We look, appreciate uh, it. look, this is not only a Christmas present for the people who subscribe to our. Uh, our feed. This is a Christmas present for me early. I'm unwrapping it with you. I want to tackle parallax in a slightly different way in that I want to, I've watched it so many times and you break it down so many times, just viewing it before having the burden of like talking about it and talking through it and trying to focus on certain things. But I thought I would imagine in my mind's eye, what is the scene that both Karen and Phil are the most Karen and Phil scenes based on your work, based on what I know about you, based on the films that I've seen of yours. So I kind of wanted to like start maybe with that. If, if, if that's a good way for us to dive into this movie before we dive into all of as much as we can. And I think I have to start Karen with, uh, with you and a scene that I think is the most Karen Kusama uh, pragmatic about the true existence of life scene in this movie <laughs> and, and that kind of like really uh, ironic, if you like, almost like turn of events that happens. The Warren Beatty, Paul Apprentice scene, mm -hmm. Joe Frady and Lee Carter. I'm not interrupting. You've been calling me? A lot. Any particular reason? Somebody's trying to kill me. Oh. Somebody besides yourself? How can you say that? I've never tried to kill myself successfully. Last time you were here, I think you lost your cat and I had to find it under the freeway. I haven't lost my cat. Yeah, and there was a time before that it was your husband. <laughs> you may find this difficult to accept, but I'm terrified. I think if memory serves me, you were always terrified about something or other. I think it was that some guy might come up and attack you in bed. Not as long as you were there. Somebody's what? trying to kill me. Oh, Jesus. Somehow I don't think I should be looking at this. Just look. What? Oh, come on. I looked at this now. I was blue in the face three years ago. Since the assassination, six of these people have died in some kind of an accident. Four. Look, nobody's trying to kill you, huh? These people were killed. And whoever killed them is going to try to kill me. Austin Tucker thinks so, too. Austin thinks that maybe we all saw something up there. Yeah, well, we did see something up there, didn't we? No, I mean something else. Well, what do you mean by something else? Does he ever indicate what he means by that? Has he ever indicated to you that he saw anything other than what was in the commission report? No. Nothing? No. Did you see anything up there? No. Well, neither did I. And believe me, I looked. We all looked. 
You mean if you didn't see it, it's not there. Well, I didn't say that. It's just that I know all about these accidents. Ralph Scaletta was a known lush. He hit a piling in the George Washington Bridge. He killed three other people with him. Joy Holder died of anaphylactic shock when the doctor gave her the wrong antibiotic. Herbert Moon burned himself up in bed smoking, which his girlfriend always told him he was going to do, and Harry Lutz had a heart attack. Harry Lutz was 40 years old. It's too young to have a heart attack. Oh, it's not. He was thin. He was in oh, terrific bullshit. condition. He found out his wife was banging her psychiatrist, and on the same day, a bulldozer accidentally knocked over half his house. Come on, he was lucky to last that long. That's future shock, Lee. You mean you no longer believe that there was another assassin involved in shooting Carol? That's right. But it was an explanation. People were crazy for any kind of explanation then. Every time you turned around, some nut was knocking off one of the best men in the country. Okay. But there's six out of 18 dead. Four. That was the last time you looked. Since then, Norman Lomax has died. And now Arthur Bridges. What are you talking about? A fishing accident. Where the hell is Salmon Tail? Salmon Tail is where Austin Tucker is now. I tried to reach him. Well? Why don't you call him? Salmontail looks like a small town. Take me. Take me there. Yeah. We could we could catch a plane and we could be there this evening. Mm -hmm. Natalie. Please. Call him up. It's a fishing accident. You want to hear about my day? I got some real problems. <laughs> you Thanks. son of a bitch! <laughs> you don't care! Hey, don't do this. Hey. Lee. And I just truly think it's one of the most devastating moments in this movie for like that stark reality. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I, when I think about that scene, I wonder what you think of that scene. Cause when I see that scene, I'm like that, if, if I was to pick what one of wow. Karen's favorite scenes is, I think this is it. That is amazing to me because that was the scene I would have chosen. <laughs> for, you know, I, I actually feel like it's as much in the history that you mentioned that is implied between them, but not really explored. It doesn't yeah. need to be. Um, the economy of the information she's imparting and, and the um, vividness of it. I mean, she, she really is outlining, like, here are the facts. Yes. And we get to watch Beatty's character sort of almost refute the facts, though they are facts that these people have been, <laughs> mm -hmm. have mysteriously died in a short period of time. And then that hard cut to her laying on a slab, it, it, it's just shocking. And, and it, it's the hard cut. It's actually that formal decision in my mind that allows the audience to understand, okay, this is why now he will have to go to the ends of the earth yes. to figure out what might've happened because she did warn him and there she is. I think it's such an underrated performance from Paula Prentice because in the mm. beginning, she's so strong and she's so like, get out of here. Like her posture, everything about the way she's interacting with him, it's all there in the beginning. And then she's just, you know, she's just defeated when she comes to that hotel room. And he, that's the great thing is, I don't know. It's like wavelengths, like her wavelength is like, help me. She's like screaming it out without actually literally screaming out, like, help me do this. And he couldn't be more cavalier. And so that cut, hard cut is like a guillotine almost. It's like, shump, like, yeah. you didn't listen. You didn't, like, you had, the, you had the warning. You didn't hate it. It's just really, I think that's really special. I agree. Well, also it implicates him yes. in multiple ways. But, mm -hmm. you know, you could, you could wonder if he's got to get to the bottom of it because he's next or he's got to get to the bottom of it because he cared about her ultimately, which I do think is sort of implied in that complicated scene yeah. before. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it, it, it appears so simple. That's the other thing I love about those two scenes together yes. is it appears so simple what's happening and yet 
it's sort of a coalescing of narrative tone and style kind yes. of just all in 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 one you know sort of one exchange of of two scenes up against each other yeah and i think that that the other thing that i think is so great about that scene or sequence is that it's it really helps us understand that he's not he's not a wonderful person he's not this isn't the story of a hero this yeah. is the story of somebody who is extremely flawed and extremely um questionable by us as to what his like, real self is that's a such an important part of the movie who is he was he really and i think there's enough that what that cut does and what the scene does is it, there's something so compelling about it's a very noir thing of someone yes. who is not a hero or a great person but they have to do something because they've been touched in some way and that yes. to me is so human and that brings me closer to the movie that yeah that what you were saying that like there is something between them and there yes. is feeling that he has that he's not you know he's incapable of doing exactly the right thing in the moment but it matters mm -hmm. and that's a really interesting thing that happens there yeah i i i totally agree i think that it's it's not about self-preservation at that moment it's like i'm gonna get i'm gonna get to the bottom of this and then absolutely there are moments where it's self-preservation but yeah i i don't know like in the nicest possible way to so many films sometimes i'm like can you just convey this without saying it because we have just taken all of and that's no offense to the great screenwriter i'm talking to in front of me but like sometimes it's like certain choices about what is said and what it goes unsaid and the exposition in the scene of like where we're up to is all that great performance by Paul Prentice. And then, then there's volumes that are spoken in just their, their proximity to one another, the staging of where she's sitting, he's standing, the silhouette, and then the hard cut, you know, that's just, I, I, I love that to pieces. And I feel like I've got, I've got my premonition hot touch. So I'm going to jump onto Phil. Right. It's two <laughs> scenes. It's two scenes for me, Phil, just because of the, did I write down a piece of paper for Karin what I think? Okay. It might oh, be well, and... well, yeah, you can start writing this while I'm saying it if you like. I'll but be honest. There, there, there's, um, there's an amazing scene, and and it's and why I say it's a two-parter because the scene itself doesn't it, it, it you require it to inform uh, be informed by the previous scene. It's got William McGinn as Jack Younger in it is the main scene, but it's when Beatty goes to visit a psychotherapist at a hospital and go through that test and uh, tell me what answers had come from a highly violent personality yeah i'd be willing but probably wouldn't do much good stuff pretty sophisticated it's a lot different than my stuff it's not any better but uh very difficult so Let Ernie take it. He'll blow him right off the graph. Yeah, he hacked up his great aunt and killed two ticket takers at the auto shop. Ernie? Where, Bob? Come on. Ernie, I'd like you to meet somebody. Uh, What's your name again? Nelson, Harry Nelson. Harry Nelson, Ernie. Who is it? Richard Paley. Who is it? Are you Richard Paley? Who? Congratulations, Richard. You had some very interesting scores on the first series of tests for Parallax. Testing for what? The Parallax Corporation. You did apply for our training, didn't you? Oh, Christ, that. 
As you know, Parallax receives demands from all phases of industry. Demands for unusual personnel. If you qualify, and we think that you can, we're prepared to offer you the most lucrative and rewarding work of your life. Yeah, what do you get out of it? We receive a, a sort of a finder's fee. As I said, the jobs are difficult to fill. How tall are you? Six two. What kind of jobs are you talking about? I think whatever you're cooking on that stove is burning. like to be on a first-name basis with any of our potential candidates as soon as possible. Now you look taller than 6'2". Now what the fuck does my height have to do with anything? Now put some ice on it. It'll stop the sting and the blister. Suggest that you have remarkable talents. Yeah, what do you mean by talents? You have difficulty holding on to a job, don't you? I don't know. I just don't like to take a lot of shit so people say I got antisocial tendencies. Right. <laughs> tell me, has it ever crossed your mind that maybe it's everybody else's problem that they don't get along with you? Why? Because you see, the very quality that gets you in trouble is what makes you potentially. Invaluable. What's that? Your aggressiveness. Aggressiveness. Right. Look, I, uh, I don't want to intrude on you while you're reading. But get in touch with me personally, if you'd like to go further. So, it's been a pleasure, Richard. Am I close? Or is that, or am I you way are... off the mark? Yeah, I would say you're right on the money. <laughs> what I was going to say is, is really everything involving Jack Younger. <laughs> I think it's such an incredible, specific yeah. you know, thing that makes the movie because he's, um, you know, like, for, you know, for example, the, the scene in the apartment, first of all, it's shot so incredibly. The dark, just seeing his boots yes. for such a long time before you see anything else of him. And... <laughs> And just the fact that Jack Younger is such a small person at, and his demeanor, everything about that performance and everything about that character, I think is really fascinating. And I can't talk about the separate from Matt Manfredi, my partner, who is <laughs> as, as deeply dedicated, if not more to the Parallax view as we are. So I'm speaking for both of us when I say this, <laughs> is that, you know, that scene in, in the lab is, again, I, it, truly amazing and it, and the way you described it brings up something that is so great about the movie is then when he does what you're saying, my first thought was like, wow, he's really good at this. He knows what he's yes. doing. And then my yes. second thought is just, no, he just is this. Yes. You know, and that's the tension of the movie too, like that you certainly start to, you know, believe or in, or in our case, understand, because I think the truth is he is authentically the person they are looking for. He's not <laughs> yeah. pretending to be. <laughs> and that's incredible. And I think that goes to that. And I love that lab scene so much that in a very unrelated television show called Mysterious Benedict Society that Matt and I wrote <laughs> and produced is uh, a scene where there is a very, basically a very benign and absurd version of the parallax test that's in it about, <laughs> like, with statements like, Fish are unnerving. <laughs> or false, or like, <laughs> so it's deeply embedded. But yeah, are you exactly. I'm, I'm again. I was gonna write the words Jack Younger to Karen, and, <laughs> um, and just the the image of him coming down. Is it an escalator or staircase? Yeah, There's the escalators. Just the kind of loneliness of this, and omnipresence of this kind of functionary. Mm -hmm. You know, and and everyone's piece of the puzzle that he's he's not the boss he's not he's not even close to the boss no. 
you'll never see the boss. You know, you've got all these people who are a piece of something that they don't know the big picture of, which is truly fascinating. Yeah, I, I love his performance so much. I love it because I don't know if it's like turning into a trope, but it feels like depending on where you live, there's a very, I don't know, limited view of like a powerful character. It has to be someone yeah. big and tough and strong and muscular. And maybe it's a young person's thing of like, oh, they must be, they've got to be huge and this and that. And the more and more I like it are these slippery characters who are like the cockroaches who survive the nuclear explosions. Like he just feels right. like that guy. He feels like he's seen absolutely everything and he's there. And so and he even like is revealed. He doesn't scutter away. He's like revealed like a cockroach is shining. The shoes are, the boot polish is perfect. And he's, he's there and just, he just speaks with such, I don't know. Uh, sorry to any recruiters out there, but he speaks ah. like such a snakish recruiter. Like they just wants to seduce you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're just the kind of person I'm looking for. And you're like, Oh, he is so good. Just the notes of like, just do that. Just like, just hit that exactly right there. And I feel like Jack Younger is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because of how erudite and just really such a great people person he was, I feel like that's the most Pakula, like mm -hmm. like twisted Pakula in the movie. You know, like he's like he really he and Jack Younger just got it, like what they were looking for. It's so it's it's spectacular. Well, also it it that character feeds into I think a larger theme of that like trifecta of masterpieces from. Pakula in this era, you know, Clute, Parallax View, and All the President's Men, which is this notion that if power is to be attained only through appealing to the male ego, <laughs> our system is forever broken. You know, like there, there is no, there, there, there can be no accountability, there can be no justice, there can be no equity. All of these things are going to be broken because of this imbalance. And so you see these broken people appealing to broken people through these means of like stroking the ego. And it's really, um, it's a big part, I think, of his idea of humanity. Um, I mean, I guess I think that's where the humanism of his work is, mm, yeah. you know, that there are some women and oftentimes the drama of a man attempting to puncture that or interrogate that, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And I think also... Yeah, I think you're so spot on. It's just the theme, the themes of this movie, it almost, it's I, like Clued is, Clued is just like a movie length version of the tension that we see in the room scene with Prentice and Beatty. And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, and, and then Parallax is more, uh, you know, uh, abstractions. It's like yeah. playing with the beautiful abstractions and conventions mm -hmm. and even like movie genres. You know, I just, yeah. I, I even said when I was doing the commentary, I was like chuckling. I'm like, this is like a Western bar fight scene. That's reminiscent of like blazing saddles. Like it's like, it's, but he's obviously so playing the intent of it and watching how the scenes play off each other are just really incredible. Um, but yeah, like this is the most, um, uh, this is the most overt that he's been with like psychologically analyzing that in a movie. And then the next one is, is more uh, required for authenticity and realism. <laughs> so he, he has to be, be a little bit closer to it and the themes don't, aren't as strong, but this is just like, it's undiluted. You're just getting it. Just like, if this is what it is, we're doomed. Um, yeah. Karen, I have to ask, oh, Karen, I have to ask rather, sorry. Um, I have to ask the, there's two special guest spots that Alan Pakula does in his work that are, he's, he's the voice at the beginning of the, the, the parallax system, the, the, the montage, the test, the, all of the, the, the beautiful, um, <laughs> maybe one of the most powerful moments in American cinema. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, 
And he's also finally the voice in the documentary about the Pelican brief, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that Denzel Washington's character watches mm-hmm. in that movie. And I wonder if, um, if that's a future thing we can see from you, Karen, um, like sneakily, <laughs> the, the sneaky voice of something menacing or something like that, something that's going to hinge on the plot. I, I would only know how to answer this because I literally just after like 20 years for the first time saw my first film, Girl Fight, in full um, projected in New York several weeks ago. And uh, I was reminded of that technique because I am the off-screen newscaster reporting on a murder-suicide in which a man kills his family and then sets himself, sets, sets, sets his wife on fire and then kills himself. And that's just reporting in the background. And, and Michelle Rodriguez's character is just watching the TV and like flipping channels. And that's one of the things she flips through. Oh is my the, God, and, what and a I, tidbit. I, we just, but we just did that because we couldn't afford to hire, you know, like an actor to come in and, and read it. So I just did it. Um, but I do think it's what you choose Yes. To bring a voice to in a movie mm-hmm. that way kind of does tell a little something <laughs> of your personality. And obviously that little tidbit tells a little something of my personality. <laughs> I was going to say, if the, if the monologue is grim enough, <laughs> yeah. then maybe. You can well, get but it. it's meant to just be news yeah, yeah, that exactly. you flash through. It's not meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That's so great. Well, look, for, for those girl fight fans out there, <laughs> and I know that. My best friend is an author and a screenwriter, Maria Lewis. She's going to be unfathomably jealous that I'm talking to you, Karen, um, because she's one of the biggest fans of you in the world. So she will love that tidbit. Um, uh, She will love that tidbit immensely. So that's wonderful. I have to ask you too, knowing this is, you know, chaos on movie sets, chaos in production. And and for folks who don't know, Parallax View was a chaotic set because of a writer's strike that coincided in the midst of production. So there was a script that was based off the novel, but the evolution uh, really from kind of all sources on the matter, um, whether it's, uh, I I think, Peter Bizkind and his uh, Warren Beatty uh, book, uh, Star, he wrote about Beatty described the relationship on set with Pakula and the way that the movie was evolving was essentially every scene was almost written every day. They had a broad sense of what they were going to do, but the way the scenes actually unfolded in the dialogue was something that they worked on on a daily basis. Is it even more miraculous that this movie is so powerful and enduring because of that chaos? Because it feels like it almost like is, it's an exception to the rule that with all that kind of chaos and like cutting things together on the fly, Maybe it's just this era that like parallax and then like apocalypse now, the miracle that apocalypse now is that it actually comes out as something coherent at the end of all of that chaos. Is, is that something that you guys think about when you watch it? Because I want, I, I think about it all the time. I, I think what's well, so interesting because that kind of chaos is speaking not just as a writer, but as a producer, it's like really the antithetical to what we aspire to. Yeah. You know, that we're very like obsessively oriented toward not chaos. Well, and we can't afford it. And we can't afford it either. Um, And so, exactly. And so I think there's something um, about the movie that you alluded to that I think maybe also comes from that, which is it's extremely fragmented. It's like a bunch of shards of a broken mirror or something Mm. like, so these, but they do go together, but it's very jangled and it's very unnerving and the rhythms are strange. And as you said, there's these passages that seem like they're from a different movie and whether they meant them to be or not, the meaning is there for you to look at like, when I look at the bar scene and, and that in the car chase where the music suddenly is like <laughs> from like Mannix or whatever, you know, like yeah. the bandit. Yeah. yeah. And, but I'm like, in the context of this film, it's, it's sort of, to me, it's saying like, this is a parody of a hero. This mm-hmm. character is not a hero. This is, he thinks he's a, he's, he's the two fisted guy in the bar, but it's, it's ridiculous mm-hmm. to look at him that way. And so, um, yeah, so I don't know in terms of the process 
but it, what it says to me is there must have been a very deeply felt philosophical understanding of what this film was among the people making it to, yeah. to be able to make something as coherent as this is from those circumstances. So I think, you know, the, the, there must have been a project in those minds that was extremely well thought out to start yeah. with. And, and I would say that there, there was a stylistic or aesthetic directive informing the story as well that mm -hmm. then could kind of support so much storytelling happens i mean this is why i love his movies he tells so many stories in the images he makes yes. and so it's not that the words are secondary it's that the words are as important as the the, the images and they yes. work together and one of the things i think that's interesting in the writing of the of parallax view is that it's quite mysterious there's mm -hmm. a lot that you're you're sort of having to catch up to and and you know in in our culture like sort of rewind and listen to again because so much is happening or is being implied but not spelled out for you and i think the 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 visual language of the movie helps support that yes. and yeah. then also allow for those emotional gut punches that aren't actually so much in the writing like that hard cut mm -hmm. to paula prentice dead in a morgue and so i think in a way it's maybe one of those rare situations where it was possible that the, the chaos could, could not completely mm -hmm. destroy the movie. Um, but I think you're right to say that is a very rare situation. Yeah. And with, within it, there, there's also obviously so many things that weren't chaos or couldn't be to my mind. Like, I don't think you could possibly do the suspense as the, the like the scene on the plane with the note oh. in the car, in the drink yeah. cart is so perfectly mm. crafted. And is such a, I mean, it really is to me one of the greatest suspense scenes in the movies. It's mm -hmm. just so great that, that uh, clearly that was, Oh, that was an, like, you know. on a knife's edge. I mean, I just, I love to, that's my favorite scene to people watch in history. Like there's just so many great, great faces. I want to know about you. I want to know what yeah, you're totally. doing there. You know, it's such a great scene, but also it's, I love the, uh, the, the, my favorite moment is that is when he writes it on the mirror. Yeah. First. Yes. It's brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then says, like in his mind, you can hear his monologue go, oh no, this will cause a a panic because it's going to get into like the, yeah. just- well, and, it will and it'll implicate me. It yeah. is, and it'll implicate me, it'll implicate me. It's going to get people into a panic. It's going to be read by another passenger and they're going to break out into a panic. And then maybe this is going to be even worse for us. Whereas yeah. like, okay, okay, okay. Let's take that off and then think of the note. Oh, that's just, yeah. It, you almost forget how spoiled this movie is for like every scene's like this buffet of just like amazing yeah. choices. And you're like, oh my God, everything's so beautiful. And you um, know that the, the explosion was something that was probably dictated by finances or time or safety or mm -hmm. something. But the fact is it's, a, it's proof of the more limited way of seeing and understanding that event being more effective and yes. more stylistically yeah. kind of suspenseful and and meaningful. Yeah, I I genuinely don't think there's no way that an explosion could have lived up to the intensity of the emotions and tension you're feeling of yeah. the plane scene. So yeah. I'm always thrilled when that happens off screen because yeah. there's just no way you, you're not going to live up to that. It was just so perfectly calibrated because also it's the stages of the following you know, the stages of following and again and again and again and again, all the way up um, yep. to that moment that you get on there and then it crescendos and it's like, nothing's going to top it. So, and I, I also love Bukula's instinct of like, nothing's going to top it. So yeah. let's not spend the money here. Yeah. And you know, when you were talking about the chaos, I mean, as much as it, it is a, a, a bane of any screenwriter or director's existence when an, when an actor thinks they're a screenwriter, in this case, 
the actor was a screenwriter. (laughs) So in in many respects, I have to give the props to the collaborators because Warren Beatty must have been a formidable creative Mm -hmm. partner. Yeah. And, um, and you can't deny that you, you know, those situations that feel like chaos probably only can work if part of the chaos agents, what they bring to the table is also genuine talent. Yeah. And I suspect he did that for sure. The George Hammond senator scene at the end of the film um, is something I want to talk to you guys about because in its original conceit, they were going to have that, I mean, cavernous space. They were going to have it jam-packed with people and do it live, like make unleash a chaos of, um, uh, of everything happening there and have this huge, you know, almost, um, you know, uh, really JFK ish scene, uh, unfold. But this is, uh, you talked about Pakula's like, uh, thematic attunement. He, he saw them rehearsing the scene and he's like, Oh no, this is what America is. We're just rehearsed. Like everyone thinks that we just come here and we're all so excited about everything that we just cheer and we do all this stuff and we're all rah-rah from the go. But the actual thing at these rallies is that everyone's rehearsed to an inch of their life. It's a performance and it's yeah, like, it makes yeah. more sense. I wonder what you guys think about that. Or if you guys have had any moments in your career where you've gone, something was going to be bigger. Something was going to be more jam packed. There was a lot more going to be happening. And you're like, no, actually the kind of stripped back version of that mm. is, is the better thing. I wondered if, what you thought about the scene firstly, and if that's ever happened for you guys as filmmakers. That's a great question. I, I would say that, something that comes to mind it's obviously a much smaller scale but has a similar kind of um formal realization was the second bank robbery in destroyer that was meant to have taken place you know 16 17 years ago when we were trying to differentiate it from from the present day bank robbery something that occurred to me was that the only thing that Aaron Bell would have had a visual access to of that event would have been the surveillance cameras. And that that's more likely how she would have seen Chris's death um, in some kind of broken frame, grainy black and white, sort of horribly kind of inconclusive and murky and um, visually. And so it was kind of nice to be able to know, okay, we don't have to shoot this the same way Mm. that the previous bank robbery, which took so much time and effort, um, which isn't to say this didn't take time and effort, Mm. but it just took a little less time and could be just formally uh, attacked in a different way. And um, I mean, the story of Pakula recognizing Mm. that the rehearsal was more interesting (laughs) <laughs> it's also, it's funnily enough, I think more tense because there are fewer people in the auditorium. So you hear all of that activity happening in the rafters. It's much, it's much harder to get away with all yes. that they were trying to get away with. So there were so many interesting kind of formal mm-hmm. benefits that came from yeah. making that decision to scale it down. Yeah. And I just think the imagery is so well, unique. And it in it golf cart and the cards both like that it, it all... takes so long for everything to get just everything yeah. takes forever and I love that I'm just like this yeah. is like it takes 25 seconds for the for ambulance to slowly weave yeah. through to get on screen yeah. and he's just glacial he's like I'm not yeah. moving the setup and that angle perfect. I mean it's yeah. so incredible. and the image of just the cart just drifting into the tables. <laughs> I think the thing it does too is I think it's such a it is such a great choice because it is really individual and it's also it is thematically appropriate of, to the movie that it all happens like it's it's you know the first assassination happens in public and it's but it's a sort of a small event small situation it happens in a spectacular place but it's not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and I think in this it's like they don't even get to the rally like the system is is making what it needs to make happen before you even get a chance to get to the rally is the is the theme there and it and it all happens in front of like 
a school band and, if, <laughs> and the band itself is so great like that the, the music is so chilling and mm. chilling in retrospect you know and and so I think that that whole it just really fits because um that idea of you know the fact that he's not wearing a suit he's just wearing like a you know and he's members only type jacket exactly. and it's just it's casual and it's not supposed to be a big deal what's going on yeah. and then it becomes the biggest deal so I, I just think that's such a brilliant choice and also just I mean visually and aesthetically I, I can't imagine I mean I'm sure he can do it but it, it's it's in, it's hard to imagine in my mind better shot than that main shot of that auditorium which is just you know mm. so yeah. great I'd like there's one note in uh, Jim Davis's performance. I just love he's practicing his golf swing. I just can't yeah. get enough. Like that so, final choice of like how much there's all yeah. these kids that are like flipping cards and practicing and yeah. dancing and like really trying to nail it and being drilled into having to do it. And he's just like rolls over with a cigar. Like he, yeah. he, Karen, you nailed it so perfectly of like, if we have to get over the male ego, we're yeah. doomed, right? Like the guy who's still doing his golf swing in the middle right. of this, I'm just like, Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's that's what this movie is. It's just stunning. Well, it's funny that that guy is too. It's like the golf swing. It's such a great detail, I'm glad you point out, because it's also a movie about, and I love movies like this and and I I and I and stories like this, but it's a story, it, it's about a people who don't know what story they're in. Yes. They think they're in one kind of they think they're in one story and they think they're one role, but they're not. Yes. And so even that, he thinks he's in this, the story of a guy who's completely in control and who is mind on other things and, you know, the golf and blah, 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 blah. and then I say that, okay, right, hop in the thing. But he's he's not in that story and he doesn't know it until it's too late. And obviously with Frady is the great example of uh, he thinks he's in one story and he's he's completely in a different story. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of some of these conspiracy and paranoid movies is that because it's about the stories that we tell of where how we relate to the world and what we do to make sense of it. And something that I think I might have mentioned when we did the Denver Library thing, but I'll mention again is, you know, that was so illuminating. Some thinker who I don't unfortunately remember who it was, but there was a, a line that's kind of about conspiracies that was saying the reason people are so um, drawn to and obsessed with conspiracies is because it is more comforting to believe even that an evil person is in charge yes. than that nobody's in charge mm. yes. and that that evil and machinations are more comforting than the tr the truth which is chaos, chaos. no yes. rule <laughs> and that is kind of fascinating and that's chaos incompetence small cruelties and, and there's yeah. even yeah exactly and there's even something in that mindset probably comforting about the idea of the parallax corporation that mm -hmm. the, they're not they're not political all they care about is keeping things the way they are it seems as they see them yes. which is which is by the way extremely political but i'm saying they're, <laughs> they're terrifying they're saying they're saying i'm saying big, it's big p political versus little p political mm -hmm. because you know on the scene on the plane the the little hint that we get it's like it doesn't matter to these people what label these politicians have all that matters is if they have too many big ideas or not. yes yes that's what matters and that's really interesting right it's it's um the uh it's i think why why you know the most overt example is like jfk but jfk is almost less comforting in the specific details or the embellishments but more interesting in just the thought that hey something squirrely went on Something really bad went on. There's, we can, I think we can agree that something bad went on and it is not as simple as that. And you just have to take that view into the world that there's some pretty complex stuff. And it's like, there's these really, you know, uh, uh, formidable, it's, I, I agree with you that when some people are like, oh, it's a conspiracy and this and that, and especially in our current times, if I hear the words, if I hear the words new and then world and then order in that mm -hmm. sequence out of someone's mouth, I'm like, there's going to, unless they're talking about ordering Terrence Malick's The New World from yeah. Amazon. <laughs> that I support completely. I could, I, <laughs> let, let me just say, if, if it's the New World order from Amazon is on its way, yeah. that, 
that is the perfect sentence to me, right? Let's let's have that. Yes, but if it if it's anything else, I'm extremely skeptical. But <laughs> I, I but I, I I love also about what you love about parallax is just if you learn anything about what they're doing, you just learn that they are this force. And I, I like not knowing exactly where all of their fingers are. We just know yeah. where they are here. And I, I, I just love that their little system is, we're just going to keep getting these sleeper agents and they're all going to be different looking people. Um, Bill McKinney is a, a parallax assassin in this movie and he's just got the best scrunched up weird face. Just some random person you're never going to look at twice. You're going to walk past yeah. them. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it's a deeply, it's a deeply special movie. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you guys about it for this little thing. Yeah. This oh, is so much great. fun. Thank this you for so asking fun. it. This is so much fun. I can't believe I get to say this for so rarely in my life, but I was actually right on my two guesses, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. That's, that's, I'm extremely I mean, happy about that. That's if yeah. I can pat myself on the back, I'm like, yes, I think I got it. Yes. Um, yes. but look, correctly. I chose correctly, chose wisely. Look, Thank you so much. I'm a huge admirer of you both, and this is really special. And to throw this up uh, as a little, uh, a little Christmas or happy holidays gift for for the people listening is just uh, going to be amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was thank really you. nice to to meet you. Phil has spoken highly of you, so it's nice oh, to meet you. Phil, you too. You're a sweetie pie. Thank you so much to my incredible guests, Karen Kusama and Phil Hay. If you want to find out where to follow Phil, you can do that on our website oneheatminute.com um he's at philly carly at p-h-i-l-l-y-c-a-r-l-y on twitter thank you to phil for making this happen uh it seriously wouldn't have without you and thank you so much to a few of the fans who reached out and said that to celebrate uh, everything uh, parallax view related uh to to make this happen so without karen without phil this wouldn't have and i'm truly grateful for them but also i'm truly grateful For my next guest, the man who got them together in the first place, look forward to our next episode with Mr. Walter Chaw. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.